yeah, just have fun. Keep it casual. It's not super serious. We're not making our money off of this. In fact, we're actively losing money. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Great. Great to hear. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to expand our user base and then we're going to uh, charge like a ton of money for the API. Mm-hmm. I'm the Library Punk API, and um, you'll be able to build sick apps um, yeah. where you can auto-generate compliments about cats. This is the model now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought of a really depressing conversation I had at work about <laughs> <laughs> the evilest companies in the world. Justin, I'm a Skullcom librarian. My pronouns are he and they. I'm Sadie. I work IT at a public library, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Jay. I'm a music librarian. My pronouns are he, him. And my shoulders just popped really loud, and I don't know if the mic picked it up. <laughs> Gross. And we have guests. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm Ben Clarkson. I'm a cartoonist, and I'm a he, him. And I'm also uh, a he, him cartoonist, and edit the nib and draw justice warriors or write justice nameless, warriors. Sorry. Just a nameless <laughs> person. Oh, I didn't say my name. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> you're just here. Your your name is everything. Yeah. It, it cannot mm-hmm. be uttered. No, no one will know who you are. It's it's so strange. <laughs> uh, ben ben uh, emailed me and, uh, and I was like, oh, that's weird. I'm going to ignore that. It's probably spam. And then <laughs> that, was my, that was my first instinct. And we've had we've had people on the show who have like created TV shows, comics and stuff. And I'm like, We're, we got the guy from the reply gif of the guy in the well. It's so insane, the shit that I'm impressed by. But I was like, I had a real starstruck moment. I'm like, every annoying person on the internet has used your drawing and conversation. Like, yeah. that's really, how does, how, how does I have to know how that feels? Is it powerful? I don't know. I mean, I I go, I, I kind of go, I have peaks and valleys about how I feel about it. You know, sometimes it's uh, annoying because uh, if I log into Twitter, there's always somebody tagging me uh, with it. And and then people get mad at people overusing it or you used it wrong or whatever. And people have all these opinions about it. So that gets annoying. But then sometimes it's cool. And it's like, you know, I made something that at least uh, encapsulated a certain kind of online argumentation and it's known primarily i think as like the the matt boars cartoon or something so i get like a name recognition lift off it so you get a more boost. people probably know that meme than like know my actual work outside of that one panel so <laughs> i don't know it doesn't really result in any you don't get royalties off i don't yeah i don't it doesn't no monetary gain i don't know that it's opened any any doors for me at all but i don't know people know about it and that's i guess in this world you know that's its own reward but through repetition and preservation this will make you like the ian nasir of our age like people will know about you from this glyph that is left behind of thousands and thousands of complaints written in digital tablets yeah i've been working on the matt boar's men her for uh (laughs) For a fortnight. <laughs> I, yeah. I love I love the way the internet will just take shit out of context because like there's that comic, but there's also the I guess and the sickos that are like oh, yeah. I guess and it's like or the 
I want this because of reasons. It's like mm-hmm. out of all of the panels of those comics, these are the ones you decided to meme. Okay. Yeah. Hey, I don't know. I don't. Uh, <laughs> it's it's called a meme, and it's like that's weird to me because it's a it's a four panel comic that I made. And then it's it's called a meme now. And uh, I don't know. I keep waiting for everyone to stop using it, but, but they don't. No, it's it's going to outlive you, Matt. Yeah, great. No, I can't wait to learn what my legacy is going to be. Yeah. Um, I hope it's something equally useful in online arguments. Yeah. Just like a voice clip of me. It could just be a rant. Yeah, you never know. I didn't. I, I did that comic and it was just, I mean, I did like, I've done hundreds and thousands of comics on and uh, do did them every week for years. And I didn't think twice about that comic and it didn't blow up right away. And then all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, actually, that's what I, people started using it more and more. And then it's like, oh, I guess this is uh a thing I'm known for now, some random drawing I made at my drawing table in 2016 and I didn't think twice about. And then <laughs> now we were talking about it. Yeah, I'm sorry to derail right off the top. I just had to get that joke out. It was just like, I'm, I'm like, this is what I'm going to start the show with. Yeah. I have to. It's, it's, I get it. It's okay. I'm still flabbergasted at who we get on this podcast. I'm like, how do we do this? Yeah. Well, no, uh, I, I didn't know, I, I didn't know who Ben was. And so to, to verify, I looked up his Twitter. I'm like, oh, Mitchell Zimmel follows him. Okay. He must be cool. So that was how <laughs> there I, we go. that was how I, uh, <laughs> I, I tell my mom that all the time. <laughs> Yeah, friends with Mitchell Zimmel. Yeah. I mean, like, it's a good credit to have. He's a cool guy. Uh, but no, we're, we're here to t- talk about your new comic, Justice Warriors. And uh, I've been reading it. It's a lot longer than I thought. And I've been, I swear, <laughs> yeah. I've been going at it. But it just keeps going. I'm like, I'm never going to, fi- I'm not going to finish it all on time. I'm like, I binged it today. 80% it so done. Good. Yeah. It's a, it's a dense text. To be clear, <laughs> though, for readers, it's, it is, or listeners, rather, it's not like, uh, Cerebus or something that's like you know 300 issues long it's just a six issue trade paperback it's 168 yeah. pages it's, it's very good it's packed to the brim with content in in my yeah. opinion memes well i that's how i would describe it is is dense with memes references and jokes i guess my first question about it is is this a jojo reference <laughs> uh I, I get that a lot it's sort of a jojo there's jojo in there uh, specifically, the, there's a character named the Prince who likes to vogue and dress in magnificent clothing. Relatable. And uh, <laughs> uh, the Prince is sort of a JoJo reference, but he's also like a Louis the Fourteenth reference. He's a reference uh, a little bit to the. Uh, there's a bunch of animated characters that went into him. The Venture Brothers, the Monarch, uh, went into him. The warden from Super Jail went into him. Uh, just like the rest of Justice Warriors, he's uh, a pastiche of a lot of these cultural references that have been floating around and are have been lionized uh, by the internet and then sort of went through a blender of our brains and got turned into this cop buddy cop story that we made yeah well i guess the main question is like how to get started and like what uh what's the backstory uh internet harassment is uh mm-hmm. key to this uh i basically i i've been working on justice warriors as a concept for a tv show for a decade on and off and uh, i really just hit that point where i was like oh i'm insane and i'm only going to pursue the things that i've been scribbling in crazy person books 
like sketchbooks. And so I just started telling people about this idea I had, Justice Warriors, and I started to try to kickstart it as a TV show, a completely independent TV show. And then I just started harassing Matt online because I liked Matt's work. And I I kept DMing him and saying, hey, write for this, write for this thing that has no money and probably won't be made, write for this. And uh, then Matt looked at it. Yeah. And yeah, so Ben was uh, DMing me about it. And then I did look at a, a reel he made. It was like a two minute, I think, sort of, you know, animated trailer. And I was like, oh, this is this is actually great. This is the type of stuff we we share a lot of influences and politics. Justice Warriors was is the type of comic I wanted to make. I was actually at the time, and this is summer of 2020, which, uh, you know, there was a lot going on at the time. You might remember. And I was pretty exhausted with political cartooning for a variety of reasons. I was doing it like 18 years. And also the end of the Trump years and the pandemic, <clears throat> everything was just so you know hard and everything was terrible and being online was terrible. And I just got exhausted <laughs> with that creative output of just having like a small cartoon where I couldn't, you know, tell a story or do much more than just make uh, political points. And I was kind of, I, I was looking for something like Justice Warriors to work on. So I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is perfect. And once we, once, once we started talking, it was like, you know, we were batting around ideas. The world is, is sort of a jumping off point for just a ton of possibilities and stories. We definitely uh, intend to do multiple volumes of Justice Warriors. But how we got started was he messaged me and then, I convinced him, I think, to do it as a comic book series instead of animation because you need someone to finance animation and you have to hire voice actors and do a lot of other stuff. Whereas comics, (laughs) me and Ben could just do it ourselves. We still needed paid. We did. We pitched it to publishers and we got a good publisher, Ahoy, a small independent publisher that's been really great. We're not making as much money as if we would have sold it to a streaming service. But, you know, that's that's more of a that's a more that's a longer shot than just being able to make a comic book. And that's my first medium. You know, that's like my medium of choice, even though I wouldn't mind. uh writing for a streaming service because of the paycheck. But I mean, I prefer to make comics. Yeah. Well, Ben, were you always set on animation or was the switch to comics like just normal for you? Uh, I like I, I am an animator. Uh, I figured I could f- figure it out. I figured I could figure out how to make a comic book. I read a couple books on how to make a comic book, and I was uh, I was in. I wasn't as Good confident with, with did you it. get those books from the library. <laughs> I, I did. I did get those books yes. from the library. Uh, I he's lying. On. He ordered them all from Amazon. He said no. I like to own every book I have. I no. hate public the library lending system. <laughs> you will liar. In the DM. No, <laughs> I didn't. I'm screenshots. I didn't. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. But uh, I got the Scott McCloud books from my local library and I read them. And the Scott McCloud books for comic heads are like uh, Scott McCloud wrote some really great books like Understanding Comics, Making Comics, um, which where he breaks out in a very structural and formal uh, way in a nonfiction comic. It's a comic book itself, How to Make Comics. And uh, I use those as a guide to just sort of teach myself the basics of the medium and then sort of floundered through it with Matt sort of helping me out. And now I'm, I feel like I can make comics now. It was... Uh, yeah. Ben's being slightly modest, by the way. If you haven't seen this book or read it, I mean, he's pretty it's damn very good. dynamic. Yeah, he was a pretty good illustrator, like for his, uh, you know, first comic book. This is not <laughs> amateur. It looks great. The book looks yeah. great, people. <laughs> So this really is your first comic. It's it's a lot, and it's like I said, it's really dense. It's 
really impressive for the first one. Yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm very happy with it. We're very proud of the book. We like to tell people about it. I um I I too also bought How to Draw Manga from the Barnes and Noble when I was uh, ten. So I feel like we we both have had like a similar life experience here. <laughs> <laughs> what was what was Scott? What was the second book like that Scott McCloud did? He he did there's Understanding um, Comics and there's the- Understanding Comics and there's one Making Comics, which is much more a practical guide. I don't remember specifically. My I think it. there's one it's it's, it's about web comics and I remember reading that when I was in college and it just sort of that one actually blew my mind more than understanding comics because it was mm-hmm. all about the potential of the format and especially online and a lot of the I, a lot of the stuff he wrote about then didn't come to pass but it was uh which is a real shame actually filled my brain with a lot of ideas man I really want to take this off on a tangent about web comics I I have been a, a huge web comics fan for so long and yet uh so the demise of the personal website has been i mean for, I, both that and long form blogging just like tumblr kind of going away there's so many artists who just left tumblr and never did anything else and they, they were you know back when they were all like my age and then I, I, I look back and i'm like oh here's this like 22 year old person that i haven't heard from in a decade <laughs> And this, all these cool stories that I used to find so relatable, and now they're just, you know, they've gone to something else. Yeah, I mean, I remember I've I've basically been living online and publishing my work online since I started, with, you know, professionally, which was like twenty years ago. <clears throat> and uh, I mean, back then I built my own website on Dreamweaver, <laughs> if you remember that <laughs> software. <laughs> So, uh, you know, and I've been through all of the different, like, I don't know what you call them, periods of the of the web of trying to figure out how to make money as a creative and social media taking off and all this. And I started the nib, which was kind of, you know, a, a short version is trying to pull together all these disparate political cartoonists that didn't really have a home online. That used to largely worked in like alt alternative press in the papers, which was collapsing, and trying to make a publication out of it, which you know works for writers or has worked for you know writers devoted to publications devoted to writers, um, but you didn't see as much with cartoonings. Everybody was just doing it on their own. Uh, the nib is, if you don't know, closing in August after ten years. So uh, that's a, that would be long to get into, but basically, you know, it's hard to keep an independent publication going. So it's shutting down, which sucks. And also it's at this time of sort of more disruption online. I think, you know, social media had a hold of everyone for 10 years and now things are sort of dissipating. People hate Facebook, uh, rightfully so. And Twitter sucks and trying to figure out how to make money online as a creator is uh, very difficult and I'm still trying to figure it out. Part of it is cre- <laughs> creating print books and selling them to people where you can actually get uh, paid for them. As I say, making money on the internet is hard, which is I refuse to do it, but I'm refusing (laughs) on principle, not lack of ability. It's a, I'm, I, whereas I appear to be failing, you know, the nib, (laughs) I have to shut the nib down and say, I'm sorry, I couldn't make it work. You rather are succeeding. A virtuous beacon. (laughs) We are enlightened. No, I should have, I should have, I should have stuck with that from the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be in a better position, at least rhetorically. I could. You could always retool as a librarian and do it in your. 
I actually, I would love, it's such a shame that it, illustration is such a difficult field to keep going because actually one of the things that I love personally is like long form comics and educational comics. We've got a friend who's a librarian who is really into medical literature and comics because oh, you yeah. need to illustrate things like human body, but also medical illustration in general is not very diverse. And so I would love to work on projects. I work with like open textbooks and stuff. I would love to fund projects where we could hire someone to draw all of these things that don't get drawn and don't get funded. And, you know, the odds are by the time you've got the money around, it's like, oh, that person's given up on drawing for a living or something like that. And you're like, oh, Jesus. But yeah, it's, it's, it's stringing things. (laughs) It's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to make a book that you don't sell for any money. That's the other thing about doing open education stuff is you you have to sell it again, like print copies, subscriptions, grant funding, like this all perverse economics of it all. Commodities for free is a hell of a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it happens. Um, usually it requires uh, free money for about 10 years. And then uh, the moment interest rates go up, everyone uh, turns off their website. So good for good for uh, Reddit. <laughs> Anybody on Reddit? <laughs> Any school shooters no, in the I house? Never got into, I never got into Reddit. I skipped Reddit. Yeah, yeah I did too. Thank you went God. straight to Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, if you're cis, get the fuck out on Twitter. It's a slur now. I don't know if y'all heard that today. Oh, is that is that true? Oh no. Yeah, Elon tweeted that if you um, if you call someone cis or cisgender, that's a yeah, slur. that's our word. Yeah, yeah, that's a <laughs> slur now. Um, so uh, you uh, you can't call people that. You could still call people all sorts of other slurs that Justin will get mad at me if I say. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you can't you can't call you know you can't get the down with his bus to like come and um is this a no slurs podcast? People out? um well <laughs> there goes 15 minutes of my material <laughs> i know i thought for a while we could get by without marking the podcast explicit <laughs> and then i was i eventually had to give up around like episode yeah. 20 and I was like, okay. <laughs> I did catch a little bit about the Elon thing, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I mean, I use it a little bit less than I used to, and it was terrible to begin with, so I wouldn't mind it imploding, but it you know, was a useful platform in a, in a lot of ways for finding finding readers. Yeah, and I, it's something I've been thinking a lot of uh, kind of bringing on people to talk about digital deaths, and like we build our lives in these little online communities, and then they die and they go away, and how do we feel about that? Like, do we talk about the fact that these connections go away, these memories go away? Um, and then I made our last guest cry when I brought that up, so I'm not going to delve into it too much with you. <laughs> How no, many I'll guests have free. we made cry bringing uh, things up, Justin? I think it's like three. We're up to like three or four now. Three yeah. or four, yeah. I got yeah, too much self-respect mention, to, yeah. to cry about Twitter, yeah. but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it has been, you know, it has been critical to my career and I've made friends. Ben harassed me on Twitter and we get made justice warriors. I mean, now our families are intertwined. Yeah, everything. Yeah. <laughs> our lives. Yeah, I see next in the agenda is uh, talking about my relationship with my mother. Uh, (laughs) Well, I was got. Did you two get married? What? Did we miss a step? Did I? (laughs) No, no. It's just we're close. We're close part. We're close business partners, Matt and I. We're very close. We're very close. Mm. I don't talk to anyone as much as I talk to Matt. Really, even my own children. I just side eye them. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of subtext <laughs> to this, but Ben's just uh I'm just making your joke. legs. As the resident homo of the podcast. Like, <laughs> I was like, are y'all family? Like 
Yeah, thanks for reminding me that I have notes that I've been ignoring so far because this is yeah. just going pretty well. <laughs> but has been how's the reception been for the comic? I mean, it's been out for a little bit. Oh, it's Good. it's a it's a hit. It's a certifiable hit. Uh, we got rave reviews for it, and we're actually going on to our second printing now. Hey, uh, which is uh, wild to work on something for so long in complete seclusion and then open it up to the world and people are like, num, num, give me more. I don't know if enough libraries have have purchased a copy. I don't think any libraries. We got to get the library circuit. Oh my God, if we got the library. I could probably make a case for it because music is so heavily involved in it. Wow, there you go. The music angle. Yeah, I'm a music librarian and I control the money. So I mean, you guys can put in purchase requests yourself. At your local at libraries, local library. especially oh, if can... you're like, yo, I'm one of your patrons and I authored this book and it has you good reviews. They will buy it. They will buy it. They will buy it. Comics are very popular in libraries. Yes. Mm-hmm. Especially graphic novels or like comics where it's a single bound volume. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to worry about like volume or issue like three being checked out or lost and the rest no, of sure. them being there. My so. psychotic business brain is just going off now of like how many phone numbers of libraries can I find? <laughs> I'm a patron and I I'm a patron of your library live in the city, of course. I mean it's a it's usually like an online form, so just go hog wild. I I don't see yeah. why not. Okay. Yeah, the form might be better because I do get a lot of emails where I'm just like, nap. But I, I almost did that with Ben's email, and that wasn't even related to work. So <laughs> I'm just a question an anti-email person. Library. How many libraries are in North America? Oh, I answered this on Quora one time. Hold up, I can pull it up. Yeah. <laughs> I used to have a lot of time on the desk. <laughs> In North America, you can't like work on real projects when you're on the desk because what if the patron comes up and interrupts you? And we all have ADHD, so uh, that that's just not going to fly. So you find other ways to entertain yourself when you're doing reference or circulation. I usually play Sudoku. It's good for the mind. Yeah, it's good for the brain. Keeps you sharp. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think the library should carry it more. Yeah, we're with us. We're with a small publisher. I don't think they just uh, routinely order everything that Ahoy Comics releases, but it has a good appeal. To, you know, people who have connected with it, it's it's kind of uh, it's a hyper political comic in a lot of ways, and it's also a uh, fun, ultra violent uh, cartoon throwback to eighties and nineties uh, action films. It's like what if Ghost in the Shell was a buddy cop movie? Yeah, yeah, is the yeah. vibe I got Ghost from it. Ghost in the Shell is kind of a buddy cop movie, but in a different it is way. A little bit. <laughs> Yeah. You know, Bateau, he's a yeah. he's our buddy. Isn't it crazy that Bateau has a boat? Yeah, <laughs> he does. <laughs> and he's like, there are buddies because he Bateau is who she has to bounce off her ideas of like, oh, I want to become a different being and yeah. ascend to a different plane. And he's like, are you sure about that? And she's like, <laughs> she's like, yeah, no, it would be cool if I merged with the super intelligence. And then uh, my fear of changing into something different is actually what's holding me back from doing this. And he's like, I support you. Yeah, that's the problem. That's where it's not a buddy cop because there has to be, it's uh, the form of a buddy cop is a thesis and antithesis. And then finally the synthesis allows them to do it's violence against criminals. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. the his, you know immortal science of material dialectics. Well, the yeah. new buddy is the puppet master, and then they merge. So it's about. Oh. I think I'm, I'm. You could. I guess working off the top of my head argument. here, trying to make it work. Yeah, you got a master's thesis in there somewhere. 
But yeah, there's a lot of Ghost in the Shell in uh, Justice Warriors. There's even entire panels that we yeah. lifted from the first volume of Ghost in the Shell that we yeah. just dump. I just copy it directly, line by line, into the into the book. A <laughs> uh, lot of jokes from anyone who suffered through Ghost in the Shell Volume 2. Uh, there's jokes in there uh, with all of the footnotes that yeah. happen in that book. Uh, we do that on one page where we just have a bunch of obscure footnotes that explain most of the plot. Matt, Matt and I share a lot of the the same influences which go into the book. And it, it's, it's sort of like an Easter egg hunt a little bit to try to find all the references we put in. So I went through my Quora and I apparently made two <laughs> spreadsheets. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, one of all the, the countries with the most uh, libraries per capita and most libraries in the world and also U.S. states. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently I deleted both of these spreadsheets. So um, mm-hmm. I can just tell you India has the most libraries in the world. And okay. after that, I have no more information. So uh, fucking Google it. All right. <laughs> Don't bother you- me with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're, we're not the librarians from desks that we don't just like have this knowledge off the top of our heads. Yeah, Fucking memorized. Google it should like, it's great reference interview <laughs> skills right there. Yeah. Yeah. Five minutes later, <laughs> you should Google. <laughs> Five minutes of discussing ghosts in the shell. All right. Listen, IBK, I wanted to become a cataloging librarian because of experience I had while writing a paper in undergrad on Ghost in the Shell. So, like, my, me being a librarian is partly because of Ghost in the Shell. I, I own Love it more. It. I own more copies of it than any other movie. And Rocky Horror is my favorite movie, but I own more copies of Ghost in the Shell. Wow. Yeah. I love it. I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. I don't know if I've told that story on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, about yeah. as many times as you have copies of Ghost in the Shell. Okay, cool. I wonder which we've done more. I'm um, I'm really mean today. I'm sorry. You are. <laughs> I'm I'm cranky because I'm sober. How does fucking satire work? <laughs> this is my next note. That's the next uh, next question. How does I'm really, satire, I'm really work? satire work? Today. No, no. Uh, when, when we've had other people on to talk about like how they use their art to talk about issues in society, I mean, you're you're using you're using a comic to talk about policing, which is like pretty tough to a, a tough nut to crack in like American political discourse. Do you feel like it's it's you know what's the role in satire and like actually changing things? How do you feel about its impact on the world? I really firmly believe it has no impact on the world. Uh, I I think that's a lot of cope for artists. Uh, There's a Vonnegut quote. Voltaire found dead. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There's a Vonnegut quote of like, if art changed anything, uh, we were all laser focused on the Vietnam War and it didn't change a a, a moot. It didn't change a mode of dust. I think satire exists. I say this all the time. I I think I think about this all the time. Satire exists to tell you that you're not alone, that you're not a human being trapped in a cage and there's no other intelligence out there. Satire is there so that you can realize someone else has thought about these things, thought them through and has left a breadcrumb of jokes for you to to enjoy. It's it's a celebration of intelligence. It's a celebration of understanding and that's enough. Yeah, I think it's I I got asked this question a lot uh, for many years because I was doing political cartoons and it's like yeah, it doesn't change anything in and of itself, but nothing nothing really does. I mean, talking about the Vietnam War, does, you know, 
books or burning draft cards or people being super serious and giving speeches did any of those one things end the vietnam war i mean nothing in and of itself is going is going to do that i think satire though is a is a way to reach people that is a little disarming and it allows you to make points that aren't like logical proofs built for a debate stage um that are or things that are wrapped up and and bound by theory and you can actually get people to see a different side of things that they wouldn't if you were talking to them in a different way or trying to get them to read a book or whatever so i mean that's what i think the value of satire is i suppose yeah even just in uh doing our little digital book tour we've we've talked to a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds like the comic scene isn't as political as matt and i are and when we talk to comics people about it they're really disarmed by the politics in the book but they celebrate it because it's done in a way that isn't preaching to them how they should vote for a democrat in the next election it's uh complementing their intelligence and their knowledge their cultural understanding and their moral understanding of what's happening in front of them yeah something we talk about on here a lot is like one of the there's a librarian and scholar who like her main focus is like book bans and challenges right and like her sort of part of her thesis as to why book bans happen is that like people believe that reading is so powerful that it can change you and that we don't trust certain groups to change the way we want them to and i actually find it quite refreshing (laughs) um when you say like no, it's not just this one thing like reading this comic book isn't going to suddenly like do whatever. Like people are way more complicated than that. Ideas are way more complicated than that. And I feel like sometimes in librarianship, we get very precious about about books and about how important and powerful they are because they they are. But like, I, I don't know. I there There is a, a Burn them if you want that, is your position. <laughs> I mean, we do throw them in dumpsters. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's okay. Like that's the, it's just text on a page. Like the ideas live on beyond the destruction of the book. Right. So yeah. it's refreshing to hear people be like, yeah, like this is part of maybe what is informing someone, but this is not going to change the world. You know. Yeah, it's this idea that you can get rid of the idea by getting rid of the the material, uh, mm-hmm. the the precipitate of the idea. Like, yeah, uh, I gotta get, I gotta no. get a, ba- a ban going of Justice Warriors so I can get all these librarians to buy it. That's yeah. what I gotta get going on. That's all. That's all I want is <laughs> gotta to get be some. We gotta get some states. cops. We gotta get some cops protesting it. I, you know, you say that. I don't think you really want that. <laughs> No, I, I I don't because, well, one of the things I was going to bring up here is that, you know, I know a lot of the cartoonists who are facing these book bans, like Mayako Babe and stuff. And uh, I've worked with them at the Nib and like, like a ton of people that are have done especially queer cartoonists. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's not great. I mean, a lot of them are getting personal harassment or are super worried about it, or they're just like constant, their names are constantly coming up in news articles and People are contacting them around the country. It's weird. And it also, unfortunately, I guess, doesn't seem to uh, result in a ton of book sales, at least anecdotally from some people I talk to. So, you know, I, maybe my plan, my plan wouldn't work. <laughs> Got to rethink it. No, the the book ban- like it only works if you're like a right wing figure who then mm. bitches, like gets banned from speaking at a library. But that's part of the plot. Like that yeah. was part of your your plan and then and but even then no one buys them but the right wing right they well just get a speaker then, fee or think, whatever yeah even then i think it's it's all a bit of uh 
moving money around. A lot of the right wing, you know, thinkers are yeah. funded by think tanks and stuff, and they all get on the bestseller list by going out and buying three thousand copies of their books at the you know the certain stores that, that help boost that New York Times bestseller thing. I don't think they're genuinely selling a ton of copies either. You know, yeah, but they're making a better living. <laughs> Yeah, I can get myself thrown out of a library too. Like it's not fucking hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the no, we did a whole episode on Moms for Liberty, which is the the front group. It's basically just a front group for Florida Republicans. Ron DeSantis screwed up his paperwork, so he can't spend the money on his presidential campaign. So he's funneling all this money yeah. into Moms for Liberty. Right? I went real fucking deep on this because I'm from Florida. It just drove me crazy. Right? And so their whole thing is just they're like we make money from t-shirt sales it's like that's you don't make money off t-shirt sales what are you a web cartoonist you, you got to be selling a 40 dollar t-shirt to make any money off of a t-shirt sale that's yeah, an argument exactly. that's a 2004 web cartoonist model right there <laughs> <laughs> actually you just reel them in and then you sell them the t-shirt put right. it on a shirt yeah exactly i i imagine because of these these book bands tend to be focusing on particularly like black representation for like children's media, like particularly in the form of comics or books and, and queer comics and books. But I, um, there is like another side of this with public libraries because they're controlled by cities, right? And cities spend most of their money on cops and cops love to mill around Read. and do nothing in a library. Yeah. Yep. They love, they love, I mean, cops love libraries because every cop I've had to work with on a night shift on library loves to lean against the desk and sit there until another fucking cop spawns in from nowhere, like in a video game. It's fucking insane. Like they just keep showing up and I'm like, get the fuck out. You gotta raise the light level and then they stop spawning. <laughs> Scatter <laughs> like cockroaches. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta turn on ray tracing. Yeah. <laughs> in the library. There's I, I threw in a thing uh, about the Winnipeg Public Library and in, in obviously in Canada, but they put like airport style security in the public library. Yeah, so it's this, a really jarring thing to see. This uh, this is a story that's actually very close to my heart because that was my library. That's <gasps> that's millen- that's the Millennium Library. I lived uh, three blocks from it. It has a beautiful giant mural by one of my mentors from art school, Cliff Eland, who passed away during COVID, and it's uh, he made like like 10,000 paintings on library cards and installed it in this giant atrium. It's a beautiful library. And what happened is they've introduced airport security twice at this library. One time, because it the library, especially in Canada, I this is what I was, uh, I focused more on the, the Canadian side of this when I was doing research, is that it ends up being the catch-all for all social services. That as the conditions in the city degrade, the library is where people go because that's where they can take a shit and go on the internet. And as things get worse and worse, especially in Winnipeg, I think Winnipeg is the canary in the coal mine, especially in Canada, because it has been precipitous in its decline for a hundred years. Ever since the Panama Canal opened, Winnipeg has been made completely irrelevant in the North American economy. And its social services have just been gouged. It There's no shelters. Their public housing is ripped to shreds. It's a hell city. It's horrible. And what happened in Winnipeg is that there was literally a homicide in the atrium of the library where four teens stabbed another person and killed them. And then the the library was closed for six weeks. And when it opened again, it had the airport style metal, metal, uh, metal detectors 
and a troop of cops, and it cost $10,000 a week to keep it running, coming from the library budget. And so now the library has to start cutting services. It's no longer open on the weekends. It's cutting 11 staff to pay for two cops that are always on service in the library. So in a weird way, it's like this feedback loop of cops in libraries that drain the resources from libraries, make them less safe, make them less accessible. But there's almost no other option that the community will permit because otherwise you need to reinvest in like social services and deal with the core of the problem. And now we're starting to see with, I think the library, once again, Canary in the Coal Mine, is this site where um, all these social issues begin to actually manifest and they can't be shunted somewhere else. And many librarians have said that their jobs have gone from working with books to being social workers. And uh, one of the main forces pushing back against this is actually the Canadian Union, which represents librarians, that is saying like, oh, uh, because of global neoliberal austerity, being a librarian is no longer a safe profession. More cops? More cops. Cops. Uh, two behind the counter for the librarian. And then why not just have the cops be the librarians? You know, teach you don't the need cops us. to read. <laughs> teach cops them, can't read. Teach cops the Dewey Decimal System. Oh and- god. <laughs> That's way too many numbers. <laughs> It takes longer than six months to tr- of training to be a librarian. They can't do it. <laughs> Actually, in some of these book ban cases, because, you know, you, so many things you can't call the cops for. Like, you know, you, you violate copyright. There's no copyright cops. And so, <laughs> nah, yeah, everyone's like, you you like copyright, night like, right? I'm like, no, I don't. It's, it's, I've got a long story about why I don't like it, but just trust me. It's, it's, I, I understand why it works. I understand people's livelihoods. I got it. Cool. But no, you know, I get it. I, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> we're probably on the same page about it, but yeah, it's, um, there's a lot to talk about there, but that they, they actually had the removal of these books from the library and the cop was just sitting at the desk going like looking for pornography in here. They just had a cop sitting in the library going through the books one by one. <laughs> <laughs> like he was gonna find anything. I wish I got paid to look for porn all day. Like <laughs> seriously, so. I do what you love. I <laughs> I turn some up real quick. <laughs> I found it. Yeah, it's on the internet. <laughs> Here we go. Like a pointer dog. Yeah, it's right there. Wow, <laughs> oh, that librarian was right. It is on Google. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I can't I can't wait until they, they the kind of forces of uh, annoying reaction figure out like libraries can be anti cop too, and then uh, throw that all into like a, a blender and um, and just see what what uh, what shit officer comes out. Yeah. Are there librarians in the Justice Warriors world in the Bubble City? In, the, in, in the Bubble University? City for sure. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, and, there's but all like sorts the of annoying cringe librarians in Bubble City. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. they have at least one librarian died right. I, I think I remember seeing that like footnote or for the headline. For the what we're asking CLU. is, are you going to put us in Justice Warriors? Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, can we be can we be <laughs> mutants in Justice Warriors? Yeah, well, for sure. It's actually a great question because what we <laughs> I promise what Ben and I talk about all the time is how different systems uh, function yeah. in the world of Bubble City and the uninhabited zone, which is the 
uh, sprawling slum of mutants outside of Bubble City. So the idea for the series overall is that like in each volume, we will sort of tackle a different system. You know, we want to do sports. We want to do elections, you know, and we just talk all the time. We're like, okay, what is the fire department like in this world? (laughs) And I mean, we haven't, we haven't discussed libraries, but like, it's a great question actually. Like, you know, we, we sort of view, I mean, obviously we view justice warriors as this sort of, uh, lens to take everything that's going on in our world and like you know amp it up to a thousand and so yeah i don't know well we have to figure out what the underfunded we'll have to get our uh, a short story where our two hero cops uh swamp and shit are placed on library duty <laughs> see what yeah because in bubble city it's probably a librarian list like like where it's like a completely people-free library yeah in bubble city like because there are some of those now i think um, where it's like a library, but they've no librarians at it. It's all done on like iPads and shit. Yeah, like um, rollerball. Just the cop at the door. Yeah, yeah. just the cop at the door. If yeah. I was if I was putting it together off the top of my head, I would say inside Bubble City, there is no public library, but there are like streaming services that you subscribe to, which everybody can because they have money. So it's it's the idea of a public library is is doesn't enter the consciousness. And then outside in the uninhabited zone, they're just you know, falling apart, neglected, you know, a few books on cobweb shelves, <laughs> overrun by societal problems. And, yeah, and people are sent there. They're they're like, you got to go to the the housing office, and it's like the housing <laughs> office is closed. Go see library. Yeah, look under H and yeah. then yeah, in yeah, the, the H aisle, there's actually a uh, a family has just vacated their tent, and there's some space for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like because I loved um with the um the 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 Libra cult. Like I loved how you took kind of like astrology culture and like just nucleared it like it's like it's it's incredible so i'm like i i would love to see what sort of like um ideology or cultural fad or something that would be attached to the librarians that would get like blown up (laughs) to to the nth degree Um, there's a lot of librarians who like like quirky love cardigans we love cats right oh Um, sure except for justin they have bunnies i'm trying to think of like what sort of like Ferret people, trend. yeah. What sort of cultural trend could get like blown up? Yeah, ferrets the, and long cardigans for the yeah. like UZ librarians or something. I'm just listing things I like. Yeah, <laughs> 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 this isn't related to the comic. Instead of, instead of cardigans and cats, it's like dusters and bunnies. Like, <laughs> I see someone draw a cute ferret. Yeah. I did go to library school with a guy who had ferrets, so that, that tracks. I'd have to, mm. we'd have to, I'd have to do a real uh, deep dive. I'd probably consult with you off pod to uh, <laughs> to figure out what the the key issues are. Because with the Libra gang, I did. I'm not embarrassed to say an intensive amount of research. I can tell. <laughs> so that, like, I didn't just make it all up. So that I wanted a person who's like totally astrology pilled to read this and just be like, wow, I'm getting roasted. And everything they say is 100% like accurate to the, uh, you know, Zodiac and uh, all the attributes that they, uh, everyone's sign supposedly entails. A lot of research goes in. Yeah. Yeah. Like this podcast. (laughs) I read a whole comic book. No, more than that. (laughs) 80% of a comic book. (laughs) I read the whole thing. 
Yeah. Well, you got to get to the end because then you're going to see the ghost in the shell references come out, all that stuff. Yeah, I think we've covered um, everything, but is uh, I'm obviously going to put all the links to all your stuff in the episode notes. But is there anything that you want people to go directly to right now, like where to buy it? Uh, I'm sure that in the episode notes, there will be a uh, Simon and Schuster link, which directs to a series of sub links to to purchase the book. Uh, we are going to start a uh, telephone campaign uh, to every uh, library. I, I have it on ath- an authoritative Google that there are 50 libraries in North America. I'm sure that's <laughs> a correct figure. Yes. And we're going to make 50 phone calls so you can go to your local library and get Justice Warriors. And if you can't, request it. We're going to yeah. canvas. We're going to like phone bank. Yes. I love to phone bank. <laughs> I would say buy it, but I would say call your library and request it for those that are more uh, less fortunate and more publicly minded than you and to order. I'm going to check on WorldCat right now and see how many libraries in the world own it. Yeah, I'll just send it to uh, our selector for YA or whatever. And it's like the price is right. Everyone, everyone, pick a number, and then um, Jay will uh, call someone down to spin the wheel. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, going fifty. Matt, what's your guess? <laughs> what I don't know. There's twenty five one dollar. <laughs> there's twenty five hundred uh, comic book shops in North America or something. So there's got to be like, I mean, God, I don't know, eleven thousand libraries. Okay, Justin, your your guess. Uh, how many libraries or how many copies are of your Probably book? Is Li- in, libraries. Of Justice Warriors. Libraries. Uh, 30,000. I want to say it was about 4,000. 4,000? Okay, so we got 30,000 with Matt, 4,000 Justin, <laughs> I don't know. Sadie. I don't know. Sadie, you going just, high, you going low? I'm going to go high at 5,000. Five, how many th- copies or how many libraries there are? How many libraries? libraries. Okay, I'm in revising North America, down. So okay, Canada who's and coming America. down to spin the wheel, okay, Jay? The librarians are I want to like, play Plichinko. I'm going to say 11 now. 11,000 or just 11? Are you undercutting 11,000. <laughs> Come on. Okay. There's like at least one small library. Ones. There's one library. Oh, well, there's so the many human library. Like, listen, I, I like live adjacent to Boston and it's like you throw a rock and there's a library of some kind in Boston. Um, like, are we including like historical societies? Are we including private libraries? Are we yes. including? Yeah. yeah. Um, How many? Give me a number. I'm going to go 7,000. Okay. I'm, I'll Google it. <laughs> and, and I posted the WorldCat link that shows how many um, libraries own at least one copy of how many libraries? Oh, really? In, Jeez, look yeah. at two of yeah. them. Two of them are in my area too. So, like, not the brand, go, not the go, system I work run, at. Run, don't walk. Run, don't walk. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Are we including Canada in this? Yes, uh, you said America. North America. North America. Because I'm I live in Canada and, now, right. so I'm very uh, and WorldCat is uh all all of the world. Okay, wow. so what were our guesses? I had one. I said four thousand. Justin said four thousand. Matt, you said eleven thousand. Eleven thousand, yeah. Sadie, five thousand. Jay, you're at ten thousand. Seven thousand. Seven thousand. There are over 21,000 libraries in North America. How so is it that I guess that's just public libraries? Poster. That's just public libraries. That's just public libraries. So I was right with 30. Yeah. So Matt, <laughs> no, you went over. If you go over, well, you no, lose. I'm saying that's why I pick one. You, yeah. you guys, it's almost as though you guys haven't watched an enormous amount of prices, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was, no, I got babysat by my great grandparents. So I've seen tons of it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly why I watched it too. 
uh, Polish grandparents love to know what the value of a dollar is. How many libraries do you think own a copy of your book if you haven't already? Oh, God, I looked. You looked, yeah. 40. The scant 17, I believe. Yeah, so listeners, fix that shit. Go go request it for purchase at your library. Now now I got a whole, I have a whole new marketing strategy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, it's, it's... It'll get some uh, orders, and then of course you got to you got to factor in uh, library cost inflation. So if you're selling it to an academic library, make sure your publisher's charging like at least eight hundred dollars per copy. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you really got to mm-hmm. ring mm-hmm. us for our money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're a little masochist, and we won't say no. So yeah, we okay. would never push back. No problem. Um, yeah, I'm feeling very humbled by getting the whole uh, number of libraries completely wrong. So apparently I looked into this very thoroughly at one point in my life and then just uh, wiped the information from both my mind and my Google Drive. And on that note, Ben, Matt, it's been wonderful to have you on. This has been so much fun. Everything will be in the notes. Thank you so much for stopping by and spending your time and sending us your comics so we could take a look. And reaching out in the first place. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure, guys. Thank you for having us on and for the great work you do in libraries. <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Good night.